Welcome to Knowledge on the Go, where we explore the leading practices that have emerged in Vizient's PI Collaborative. I'm Jim Lekauer, Senior Performance Improvement Director for Pharmacy at Vizient and the host of today's episode. In this podcast, we'll discuss the insights from the optimization of Biosimilar Medications Collaborative and what's on the horizons in the biosimilar market. Joining me today are Chelsea Jensen, Pharmaceutical Formulary Manager, Supply Chain Management from Mayo Clinic, and Scott Sefke, Director of Pharmacy Cancer Care and Assistant Professor of Pharmacy at Mayo Clinic. Welcome, Chelsea and Scott. Thanks, Jim. Happy to be here. Yeah, Jim, we're glad to be here. Hey, so Scott, can you start us off with a brief discussion of the current biosimilar market? I would describe the biosimilar market as at the end of an explosion. When biosimilar legislation and everything happened, we had this lull time where we didn't have a lot of activity. And then 2019, 2020, we had this explosion of drugs. In the oncology space, we had three therapeutic drugs. We now have three supportive care drugs. And each one of those classes has multiple drugs in those class. So we've had to go from very little activity in biosimilars to a lot of activity in biosimilars. Same thing's happening in the rheumatology space with infliximab. It's been a challenge as we've developed biosimilars and how you integrate them into your system, et cetera. That was what our collaborative was all about. And then as you look forward, we're about to go through another explosion in a different area. We're moving out of the infusion center into the retail space. And then I think we're going to see this trickle of drugs as we go forward. And then ultimately, at some point in time, I'm hoping we get another explosion of oncology drugs as some of the newer monoclonal antibodies reach their point where they can start becoming biosimilar eligible. So it's been this little bit of nothing, then an explosion, a lot of activity. It's kind of settling down in oncology. It's picking up in other areas. That's kind of what the market looks like right now at this point in time. So looking to the future, what's the financial opportunity available with biosimilars and how do you see that playing out? We've seen an erosion of the price of these drugs, both the wholesale acquisition price and the average sales price. They have come down dramatically over time, in some of them as much as 25% reduction in the price of drugs. So financially, we're seeing costs go down. It's creating a dilemma in some places because as ASP plummets, the prices don't always keep up with the ASP. And so now you're running into the situation where this month you're making money with the biosimilar, next month you're not. And so we're hoping that we reach a stabilization point pretty soon. These drugs have kind of been out long enough now that I think we're going to start seeing it stabilize. If your goal is to reduce costs, you can tremendously reduce costs. At Mayo Clinic, we've reduced $23 million in the first year and another $10 million in the second year after that. The cost savings are there. And we're doing this in a world in which we're also increasing volume. We're achieving those goals the biosimilars are supposed to do. We're providing access and reducing cost. On the revenue side, it gets a little funnier. And it's something that you're really going to have to pay attention to. It's all each institutional specific. What's happening at my institution may not be what's happening at someone else's institution. So you got to really focus on it. And then the final part is the payers, because payers are still demanding selection of a lot of these products, particularly in certain segments of the country. So you got to really pay attention to what's going on in the payer market so that you know what's driving those decisions in your area. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And as you mentioned, there was an explosion. And because of that, we realized we had some of our Vizient members still struggling with optimizing biosimilars. So we started the Optimization of Biosimilar Medications Performance Improvement Collaborative, which we had the opportunity to work with 20 Vizient members through that six-month project in different aspects of the biosimilar conversion process. So Chelsea, can you share with us some of those key strategies and impactful practices utilized during the collaborative? 
Absolutely, Jim. Some of the key strategies that we learned, one was to involve your prior authorization team in your biosimilar implementation strategy. It's very important to understand what your payer landscape is and what they're demanding, especially that might give you leverage for contracting, and truly to educate and inform and collaborate with them. We had a pharmacist-driven therapeutic interchange process, and we had to maintain a form of each therapeutic category, what our preferred agents are, as well as what the HICS-PICS code were, so that the prior auth team understood their language and they were able to communicate back to pharmacy in our language, which is generic drug names. Another strategy was really to optimize your electronic health record ordering pathways to facilitate that uptake and reduce burden. So wherever possible, uh, you want to default biosimilars within those ordering pathways, but have those non-preferred biosimilars as well as reference products available via advanced order panel. Uh, It was also very important to assign aliases to biosimilars. Providers are never going to remember all the various four letters after a generic name. They're never going to remember the brand name of these biosimilars. So when they're searching rituxan, let's make sure it also populates all the rituximab biosimilars. If you're on a paper order system, it's important to update that to ensure that those paper forms to ensure that you're driving towards biosimilars and that the providers understand what your preferred biosimilar is. Some of our members of the collaborative pursued implementing rule-based EPIC programming, which utilizes a matrix that automatically keys in what their payer preferences are to help automate that selection of covered biosimilars. So I think that's a really great avenue to go as well, especially if you maybe have a smaller payer population. It's also very important to develop a standard process for converting patients to your approved biosimilar. Maybe that's the pharmacist-driven therapeutic interchange. Maybe your state laws don't allow that. You need to go to a collaborative practice agreement. So those are two very important strategies to consider what's going to work best based on your state laws. You also need to think about what that implementation plan looks like. Are we going to change everyone over all at once on a set date? Are we going to have a waived implementation? That really is going to depend, again, what does your payer population look like and what is the size of your institution to make that work and and how much people power do you have. And again, it's important also to consider, have you developed education materials for patients? Who's having these discussions with patients? Do they understand that they're getting an equally safe and effective agent? It just doesn't have the same name as the product they might be used to. So that's also important to develop those and to consider who is the caregiver talking to the patient? Is it the provider? Is it the nurse? And make sure that they're aware of that and understand what the biosimilars are as well. I think another key strategy is to really develop a process to routinely review and evaluate your current market share of originator and biosimilar products. So do you have a centralized dashboard or a tool that you can track how you're moving from a reference product to a biosimilar or from one biosimilar to another biosimilar, whatever the situation might be at your institution? And who's responsible for monitoring that? And do you have this multidisciplinary team formed and a path to escalate if you do see an issue? So, So those are some of the key strategies that we discovered during that collaborative. Yeah, thanks for sharing those. As I said, we had a diverse group of about 20 members, so trying to identify what really bubbled to the top and was important wasn't easy, and so I appreciate you sharing those strategies. And now, maybe more challenging, we boil it down to some key insights and some takeaways from the collaborative. Can you share some of those key takeaways that you identified from this project? Yes. Teamwork makes the dream work. Forming that multidisciplinary team and maintaining engagement is so important. Share the wins that you're observing, whether that's reduced healthcare expenditure or maybe reduced denials, reduced burden on the prior auth team. Celebrate them helping you troubleshoot issues. Also inform them of the evolving landscape. Just say, hey, just so you know, this other area, we're going to be seeing biosimilar competition. What are you seeing? And really work together. Again, it's important to go above and beyond. We are going to have to track these and dig into issues and just keep that open, curious mindset. When you troubleshoot an issue, it's no one's fault. Just say, hey, I see this. How can we collaborate? How can we fix it? How can we work together? Again, processes are going to evolve. Maybe your ordering pathways change. Maybe your preferred products change. Maybe a payer changes. So again, make sure you're developing a document and modifying that as you 
need to so that, again, you can really leverage that into other categories that you tackle in the future. What we've seen at Mayo Clinic is that this multidisciplinary team has certainly benefited beyond biosimilars. We've talked about other product conversions. We've talked about other high spend areas or other high denial areas. Collaborating has helped us be better as an institution and provide better patient care. So Scott, you mentioned earlier Humira, which is our largest spin biologic, and there's multiple biosimilars coming this year. It makes everybody excited, I think, and a little uneasy. But can you describe what we currently know about this and how this might be different than our previous launches? Up to now, biosimilars have all been in the infusion center space. So that's the medical benefit. It goes through prior authorization processes, and it's been something that we're comfortable with from the infusion center side because we've done it with other things. And it's just how do you incorporate that into your workflow? So now we're moving into the retail space. We're taking these biologics, making them self-administered, moving it into the retail space. And with Humira, it's going to be very interesting because some of the drugs will be interchangeable. We know there's an interchangeable product coming. Some will not be interchangeable. So that means depending on your state, you may not be able to just switch it out, whereas the interchangeable and the pharmacy can just switch it out. And so you're going to have to decide as an institution, how are you going to deal with that different workflow on those two things? And then when you throw the payers on top of it, it really becomes, I think, a bigger challenge. We hope the real-time adjudication process works for the biologics. We're expecting it to, but we haven't seen it yet so much to see if payer one has this demand and payer two has this demand, is that something that's truly going to show up in the real-time adjudication? And so you're going to have to really pay attention to that to see how it goes. And it's going to be working with whoever does the prior authorizations for your retail space, which in some institutions like ours is different than the team that does prior authorizations for the infusion center space. So now you're working with another group. And so when you put this all together, it creates operational challenges. It creates potential barriers, depending upon what payers demand and how things go, how many drugs you have to carry to meet the regional payer demands in your area. But it also creates tremendous opportunity because, as you said, Jim, this is the number one drug worldwide. It's the number one spend by anybody who's dispensing it at any level. So if you tremendously cut the cost of this drug, there may be some significant cost savings over time. The final part is going to be interesting is to watch that financial side that we talked about earlier, the revenue side. The margins in retail are much smaller. So is it really going to be a big deal or are we just going to worry about reducing cost? Those are the questions that I think that still have to be answered over the next year or so as this drug launches. So Chelsea, Scott briefly mentioned the medical benefit versus the pharmacy benefit. Can you expand a little bit on that as we move into medications that will be covered under the pharmacy benefits and how that will be impactful and how we'll have to navigate through that process? Absolutely. Scott already touched on the real-time prescription benefit check, which I think is going to be a huge time to see if that setting shines or if it has some flaws. And do you have some backup processes put in place? Do you have maybe a point person at a local clinic that you can call? Or do you have a collaborative practice agreement set up that you can possibly change out to the covered product so that you're not creating a patient care delay and you don't have to send the patient home without any drug? So those are going to be some important backup processes to consider. And again, you really need to educate those frontline pharmacists pharmacy staff too. I mean, you are going to be carrying six different products or potentially. How are you properly labeling in those and storing those to ensure that you're dispensing the right product to the right patient? Another thing that's going to be key too is, are we adequately educating our retail pharmacists so they have everything that they need to properly counsel patients when they see a change? So I think that'll be important as we expand out into the retail space as well. So Chelsea, we talked a lot about Humira now, but what other products are coming that are drawing interest from you at Mayo Clinic? 
I would say the ophthalmic injections that are seeing biosimilar competition like ranibizumab, I know that a flibercept will be on the near her future. These are all Medicare patients. Typically, nearly 100% of our population is going to be Medicare. So there's a huge opportunity to reduce costs. There's a huge opportunity to potentially improve margin depending on how that looks. That's going to be an interesting space to watch. And then in the more distant future, tocilizumab biosimilar is another one with how expensive CAR-T treatment is and recognizing that tocilizumab is a main treatment for CRS. When is that coming to market and how does that impact the overall cost of care? So those are some that I'm excited about in the near future. As we close today, any final comments or advice for those who are looking at 2023 and beyond on how they should be approaching this? And we'll start off with Chelsea. And I would just say, consider forming that team, forming these relationships, and really digging into some of these issues because you want to be on the front end of it and not mixed up in the middle or on the back end of it. So be proactive, form that team, and figure out what that landscape looks like for your institution. Scott, any additional thoughts to add? No, I agree with Chelsea and just work through your operational process. These drugs are coming. It's what caused us to form our team. They're coming. And so you have to figure out how you're going to operationalize this process and make sure that your operations are set up in such a way that you're not overburdening one group or another. Do your best to make it the most efficient system you can to help everybody get through the system better. And I think in the long run, there's tremendous opportunities for cost savings, increased access to care biosimilars can end up doing exactly what we want them to do. All right. Well, great discussion. I want to thank you both for sharing your insights today. Thank you. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this edition of Knowledge on the Go. I'd like to thank Chelsea and Scott for speaking with us today. And thanks to our listeners. Please review additional Knowledge on the Go podcast and look for our new podcast by subscribing to our channel today. 